are there Nazis on another planet? And then we take a look at the unique take of the Mormon church and its view on Bigfoot today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. we got some weird stuff going on today. Nothing to actually be considered its own story, but I did want to get this out here. First off, YouTube is down. I imagine that YouTube will be up by tomorrow, if not before then. But of course, people are freaking out and they're like, was something uploaded to YouTube and they had to shut down the entire site to prevent the masses from seeing it? Unlikely, possible, but unlikely. It most likely is some sort of technical issue, but we're going to have an open mind about it. We're going to keep looking at it. You know, and also, I want to touch back on this too. We never heard more about the Sunspot Observatory and the janitor who was downloading child porn. That was it. Like, that's public information. When you arrest somebody for that, unless they're cooperating with the police to wrap up, like, a ring of other predators, uh, that should be public information. We haven't heard anything more about that. So we're gonna, I'm gonna do some more research on that. I just was looking at something today about that, and I was like, okay, this is getting fishy. Like, at the time, I go, well, maybe it's a legit thing, but we still have no more information on this janitor, at least that I've seen. So we're gonna look into that. I did want to start the story off with this. Now, you know that I don't like to do political stuff unless it is in, becomes a conspiracy thing. And I actually have a conspiracy theory about what's going on right now, and I don't have much proof. Just have a hunch. Just have a hunch. There is, about a couple days ago, at least we heard about it a couple days ago, 3,000 immigrants left Honduras and begin making its way up through Central America, and their goal is to either stop in Mexico or come into the United States. And there's already the photos of, like, hundreds of people, like, you know, waving flags and stuff like that. And they tried to block him at the Honduras border, but they just let him through. They're like, we can't do this. This is about three weeks before the U.S. election. I think this is a CIA operation. I think that the images that are... This this is going to play out for about a week or two as they're moving. They're going to keep covering this. And I think that it is a political move. What are the chances that 3,000 people gather together before three weeks before the election? I think that the point of the march is, is that it creates a face where basically President Trump can say, if you vote for the Democrats, this is going to be a continuous thing. I'm the guy who's strong on immigration, and I need a Congress to support my immigration goals. It's. I have absolutely no proof of that. But we're going to see this group march. For, and I'm sure that there are Democratic operatives who are like, this is the worst timing possible. Because you're putting a face and you're putting sounds and all these huge images of this big crowd. And there's going to be people on the Democrats say, no, like this is a humanitarian crisis. We have to let them in. And independents are just, they've spent the last two years in the middle going, I, I, I both of these groups are nutty. But I'm going to have to pick somebody soon. So after all of the ups and downs of President Trump's administration and all the ups and downs of the resist movement, 
Within three weeks, those independents are going to have to make a decision. And this puts a very, very vivid picture. So that's, I think it was, I think it's a political operation. So we'll see. I think it's a, I, I, again, though, I have no proof of that whatsoever. Just a hunch. The timing was really weird. Really weird. So it's been the last half hour reading about this whole YouTube thing. So I'm a little discombobulated. And when I sat down to start recording this episode, I said, you know what? I'm going to give one more look at my notes regarding the Vril Society and the Nazi plan to build these UFOs. And I had, I was like, okay, I know the approach I'm taking with this story. And I sat down, I looked at my notes a little bit more to kind of like get my head wrapped around it. And I was like, I don't know anymore. I don't know where I'm at anymore on this story. So the Vril Society. The Vril Society is something that you've probably heard a lot of if you, like, are consuming mass media. Vril Society is always that, like, Nazis on the moon type of thing. Like, with Iron Sky, I believe they're the villains in a couple Wolfenstein games. Them along with the Thule Society. So, the Thule Society was a group of occultists who believed that the, like, the Aryan race was supreme. So, obviously, they were quite popular among the higher echelon. Echelon? Echelon of the Nazi regime. The Vril Society was a bit different. It was mostly headed by women, and they believed there was this substance called Vril. It was basically like an unlimited energy supply that you could find, and you could use it to power your weapons. Vril might actually have even been in... No, no, they used the Cosmic Cube in Captain America. But anyway, so it's the like this fantastical thing that I had always heard about as a kid, w- researching like weird stuff. I heard about the Vril Society and the Thule Society and the Nazi UFOs and all of that stuff. And so I go, you know, I'm going to take a look at this. I think that might be a good subject for the podcast. So here's the, here's the gist of it. You have the Vril Society, and you had its... Leader, Maria Orsic. And she was this famous medium. In 1919, she claimed to have received a blueprint into her brain. And it told her the technical data for building a flying saucer. So in 1919, she's like, uh... And like, now she knows how to build a flying saucer. And it talks about, like, she gets these visions of Vril which it was already kind of known of before that, but it, this was kind of her big thing. So she knows that they need Vril to power it, and she knows where they should go in case, you know, things don't work out well, which a little bit of foresight on her part, to Alderaan. Not Alderaan from Star Wars, but there's a real star system called Alderaan, with a B, 68 light years away. So anyways, she became very popular among the Thule Society and high-ranking Nazis. Hitler actually, I didn't know this, Hitler kind of frowned upon occult practices altogether. He was not, he was just kind of like, ah, whatever, like, I'm glad he talks like a valley girl. But, you know, he, he just didn't really care for much about religion in general. He saw it as like an unnecessary distraction for his leadership, but they were doing it. So he's like, whatever, guys, like, I'm, whatever, like, I got other stuff to do. So he goes in the other room, and I imagine they're, like, playing with the Ouija board in their full-on Nazi regalia. So Maria meets with uh, Rudolf Hess, who's a high-ranking political, like, high-ranking in the political party of the Nazis. And he's like, whoa, you can, like, this real stuff, we need to attain this. Like, look at all these blueprints that you have. This is great technology. The war, obviously, spoiler alert, doesn't work out well for the Nazis. 
And this Maria Orsic girl and the other followers of the Vril Society disappeared. In 1945, they're just gone. All trace of them are gone. Nobody could ever really figure out where they went. And the theory put forth was that they were able to get the Vril, and they were able to build the spacecraft that took them and possibly others to Aldebaran. So I had heard that story before. That's actually very, like, popular, like, deep Nazi esotericism. How do you say that? I need to stop saying words that I don't understand. I mean, I understand. I have to stop saying words I can't pronounce. That was, like, deep Nazi supernatural lore. And like I said, it's in a lot of popular culture. I had heard about the Vril Society, Thule Society, growing up. Because it's an intriguing image of this high science fiction weaponry being crafted in laboratories and, you know, being used in war. And maybe, like, you had small units of, like, U.S. commandos, like, shooting Nazis and, like, taking possession of this. They're like, what is this? It's some sort of hoverboard or something. I don't know. But anyways, you know, so, like, it's a very intriguing thing. 100% totally fake. There is no proof whatsoever that Maria Orsic ever existed. And I was, when I was researching this, I was going into it looking for these groups that existed, never existed. Absolutely never existed. I'm like, are you kidding me? It was so disappointing. Not saying that I want the Nazis to have space age weapons, but it was something that I didn't, okay, I didn't think they actually succeeded in getting space age weapons, but I thought there was a group of, a group of people who were trying to get, they don't exist. There was no real society whatsoever. Maria Orsic, they say her dad was born here and her mom was born here. We don't know their names. There's no photos of her. Well, let me rephrase that. Every photo, there's one photo of a girl and then there's drawings of a totally different girl. And depending on what website you go to, it's a different drawing or a different photo. Doesn't exist. We That's why she disappeared after the war. Totally made up. And you're like, Jason, that, you know, maybe the documentation, maybe... No, because she was actually the narrator of a fictional novel. She was the narrator of a book called... So after the fact, after she had supposedly lived and died or lived and floated away to space, in 1960, a book came out called Morning of the Magicians. It's a collection of short stories, conspiracy theories, basically. And it has a giant once ruled the earth. We've heard that one before. The Nazca lines are like the giants making them, supposedly. It also includes speculations about German occultism and supernatural phenomenon. So it's completely made up, and that's where the Vril Society comes from. Vril, you go, what about the energy stories? That also came from a novel. That novel was published in 1871, and it was called Vril, The Power of the Coming Race. It was a book about people living in the hollow earth and how great they were and how sucky humans were. Again, you can see the allure of the uh, Nazi regime to that. These giant, great leaders of humanity were better than the subhumans above Earth. And they everything they had was powered by Vril. So the Vril was a completely made-up thing in a book. The Vril Society was a completely made-up thing. Maria Orsic, completely made-up. There was no such things as any of those. And it was very, very disappointing for me to discover that. Now, the Thule Society is real, but all they were was an occult group that believed in racial superiority. 
They may have been like, light eight candles. Hey, Rudolph Hess, go say Bloody Mary through. No, I'm not doing that. No, you got to do it. It's part of the ritual. There might have been like that level of occult stuff. There's, they weren't summoning demons. They weren't making UFOs appear. They weren't doing anything cool. They were just being like anti-cosmic Satanists in 1943. So I was disappointed. We know Vril doesn't exist. We know she doesn't exist. We know the Vril society doesn't exist. And then you go, okay, Jason... But you said you changed your mind on this story. Did, did you believe it and now you don't? No. This is what was interesting as I was going through my notes. And I still believe that Maria Orsic doesn't exist and that the Vril Society never existed. And that Vril is fictional. So it strikes, you know, three strikes. In 1947, Willie Ley, he was a German rocket engineer who fled Germany in 1937. Again, he had good foresight. In 1947, he published an article called Pseudoscience in Nazi Land. And he was talking about all the weird stuff that Germans believe. He's like, dude, these guys are nuts. So this is only two years after the end of the war. He did say, he goes, there's a bunch of weird groups over there. And he goes, there's a group that all they do is look for Vril, which is totally made up. It doesn't exist. He called them the... War, war Heitschlettgels Shaft, or the Society for Truth. And he says it was just a group of people among all the other weirdo cults. So he was just talking about all these weird beliefs at the time. He says the Society for Truth did go around looking for Vril. So there were groups of people, there was a group of people who believed a fictional novel Talking about Vril was real, and I think that is, and that was the the end of it. He didn't name anybody in particular. The, the group name's completely different. I think from that, the authors who wrote Morning of the Magicians, which is all like the little tales and stuff like that, most likely read his article and elaborated on it, and that's fine. I just think it's ridiculous that now it's almost become common knowledge that, oh, the Nazis had this, were at least working on this high technology, and some people believe they actually achieved it. And they didn't, which, I mean, is good. So yeah, doesn't exist. You let me down, Wolfenstein. The Vril Society, Nazis flying to Aldebaran, living on the moon, doesn't exist. People think the Nazis went to Antarctica and we had like this huge war with them and they had this high technology there. No. History is interesting enough. History really is interesting enough. We don't need to add... Although that would be cool, let's just stick to the facts. Let's just stick to the facts. Because then I discover it, and I get disappointed. You don't want to disappoint me. I'm sad. Okay, so we're moving on to our next story. This story was something that I never, ever considered. I didn't think it was a real thing. Platinum P on YouTube commented on, I believe it was on my Bigfoot episode yesterday, said, why don't you cover Mormon Bigfoot? And I responded, because I'd never heard of it before, and I will look into it. So I spent this morning looking into, and assuming, I'm going to find nothing. No offense, Platinum P. I, I figured that it was a real thing that you had heard about, but I figured it would be totally obscure. There are a ton of resources on Mormon Bigfoot. Now, this is what's interesting. It's not that Bigfoot himself is Mormon. It's the Mormon's theory on Bigfoot. So we're going to have to go back in time to start this story off. We're going to go back to late 1800s. David W. Patton. So David W. Patton is Mormon, or was Mormon, 
And he was one of the, like, original leaders of the Mormon Church. Now, not like a founding member, but he knew Joseph Smith. This is his story of what happened to him one day in Tennessee. I I couldn't find a date for this, but... As I was riding along the road on my mule... I should put, like, Western music in this part. As I was riding along the road on my mule, I suddenly noticed a very strange personage walking beside me. His head was about even with my shoulders as I sat in my saddle. He wore no clothing but was covered with hair. His skin was very dark. I asked him where he dwelt and he replied that he had no home, that he was a wanderer in the earth and traveled to and fro. He said he was a very miserable creature, that he had earnestly sought death during his sojourn upon the earth, that he could not die. And his mission was to destroy the souls of men. About this time he expressed himself thus, I rebuked him in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by virtue of the holy priesthood and commanded him to go hence and he immediately departed from my sight. So that story, the reason why we know about that story was apparently he told that story to his buddy, Lycurgus Wilson. Lycurgus Wilson wrote a letter to another guy named Abraham Smoot. Abraham Smoot was writing a biography about David W. Patton in 1900. So the first time that this story came to light was in 1900. Now, Bigfoot sightings obviously had been around for a long time with the Native Americans. But even among Westerners, Bigfoot sightings were very, very, like, 1800s, like, early 1800s. So it would make sense that he would, they didn't, every area had a different name for him. Like, in The Walking Dead, some people call him walkers, and other areas call him biters and stuff like that, because they wouldn't have national communication lines. You should watch The Walking Dead, by the way, it's really good. Anyways, so, this story, you know, again, this is coming from a... You know, a established member of the Mormon Church, one of the original guys. And not, I mean, I'm using that term wrong, but he was he was highly, and he died a martyr for the Mormon cause. He was killed by he was killed trying to rescue Mormons who had been arrested, and they shot him like they had this charge, and he died. And he died, and Joseph Smith was like, "This dude was dope, and we should always remember him." So it's like this guy was OG Mormon. So he tells this story that he supposedly told this one guy, and then the guy wrote it. People were like, how do we take this? Now, the first thing that they do is they go, in the Mormon community, they go, okay, we really trust this guy. We trust this whole chain of people. He might have met Bigfoot. And Bigfoot may have been Cain. So the story of Cain and Abel, it's Bible class, guys. It's Bible class time. Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve, and Abel was like a really good worker, and Cain was like a total dick, never did anything, and he was really jealous of his brother. So one day he picks a rock up and just bashes his brains in, kills him. It's considered, it's not true, but some people consider it the first murder. Obviously there had been murders before that, we'll get into that in a second, but so he just bashes his brother's brain out, and God shows up. Like, voice in the sky, burning bush, however. He just is there. And he says, what have you done, dude? You're covered in your brother's blood. Your brother cries out from me from the ground. Which is creepy, actually. So do, like, corpses go, help, God, get me out of here. So then God says, now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth up to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then God says, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out of the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. There's been a lot of, you know, this particular passage has been, the whole Bible's been analyzed over and over again. The first question is, if Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel, but how does Cain go to a city? Like, he's headed out to Nod, and he ends up having a wife and having kids and stuff like that. And that's, again, always the pushback. The Bible is not a scientific textbook. It is not a genealogical tree of the entire planet. It is a religious history and a religious text of a particular people. So don't go to it looking for scientific questions. There were a ton of other people in the area, obviously, if Cain is able to leave and have a family and it not be his sister. That little rant aside, that's where they're getting this idea that he he has to wander the earth. Nobody can kill him. And the mark is the hairiness. And since he can't till the land, since the land is dead to him, how else would you feed yourself? You would just have to walk through the forest and like eat squirrels and stuff, eat berries. You could never be in any sort of industrialized society, one, be, especially back then, an agrarian society, because you, you'd be cursed to not have anything grow. Two, nowadays, people would be like, dude, that you're seven feet tall and you're hairy. Where are you supposed to work, McDonald's? I can't have you behind the counter. He might be able to work in a call center, depending on how he smells. David W. Patton had that encounter with whatever it was. Maybe he made it up, but let's assume that this actually happened. And like any thing, when something pops up that's kind of weird, there's two, generally the religion mainstream will take it one of two ways. They'll either go, that's a quaint story, but let's not get out of hand with that. And other people will say, you know, this guy is so high up in the church and he was well respected, we should give it some veracity. And the story was just kind of there for a while. There was something people would talk about as kind of a, a weird part of Mormon lore. Like, did David W. Patton really see Bigfoot? He's on a horse, and the guy's as tall as he is, and he's covered in hair. So years, years later, in 1969, the president of the church at that time was President Kimball. He wrote a book called The Miracle of Forgiveness, and he used that story in that book. So more than 100 years later, well, about 69 years later, actually. So 69 years later, he used that story, and he's the president. So the president of the Mormon church is basically the Mormon Pope. Like, they actually receive visions from God, and they can change certain laws. They can say, you know what, we're going to allow this. We're going to allow you to drink caffeine now. I just got a message from God, and he says, we can drink caffeine. Just got a message from God. We can start dancing. So they they are the, they're the ultimate prophet. They are a Latter-day Saint, in a way. I think they're all considered Latter-day Saints, but I mean, the prophet, he's like in charge. So him writing a book and using this story in it led a ton of renewed interest in it and credibility behind it. And when he uses that quote, he's basically saying this actually happened. So the common belief, unspoken, is in the Mormon church that Bigfoot is actually Cain. Almost like, and that would explain why you can't catch him, you can't kill him. He's doomed to wander the planet. So if we caught him, if we proved that it was him, then we just put him in a cage. That's His punishment is just to walk the earth until the end of time. 
So it would explain why we can't catch them. Now, it doesn't explain why there are sometimes sightings of multiple Bigfoot, Big Fi, unless he brought his family with him or he continues to have kids. But would they live forever? So next time you see a Mormon, you should ask him. Don't be rude, but just ask him if they've heard this story. And I I, I can almost guarantee it's going to be 50-50. Some of them are going to be like, yeah, it's a fairy tale that, you know, we tell our kids, but I personally don't believe it. And they're most likely being honest. And then other ones will be like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. I I don't know whether or not I believe it, but I've, I have heard that story before. Every religion has wacky stories in it. The I, When I was reading about this, there's... There's debate in, there's debate that whether or not Bigfoot could exist at all, based on biblical, I was going down the rabbit hole, or the Bigfoot hole on this one. Could Bigfoot exist at all in biblical tradition? And one side says no. The flood would have wiped out Bigfoot. Like, if he existed, and if Cain was Bigfoot, that was one of the pushbacks. If Cain really was Bigfoot, the flood would have destroyed him. The flood would have killed Cain slash Bigfoot. That would have been the end of it. Other people think that it could be the leftover of the Nephilim, but since the point of the flood was to wipe them out, that's unlikely. Some people think this is post-flood. Some people think it's a dude. This is so funny. The Bible, again, just has the weirdest stories in it. So there's a dude. There was two sons. There was Jacob. Everyone's shutting the show off now. They're like, I don't want to hear your stupid Bible stories. This one's funny. So there's Jacob, and there's a dude named Isu. Might be saying that wrong, but just bear with me. So God's like, listen, you're going to have twins, but they're going to be separated. One of them is going to be super strong and take command. And most likely, the older will serve the younger one. So this woman gives birth. And trust me, this is Bigfoot related. This woman gives birth to Isu first, covered in hair. Absolutely covered in hair. And she's like, I will name you Isu, which which means hairy. So she looks at the baby and goes, oh man, you're covered in hair. Your name is Harry. Next baby she gives birth to is named Jacob. So they're brothers. And this is like the start of the genealogy of, again, like the Israelites, right? So they said, Jake, you know, one of them was going to help lead the people. And Isu was kind of like just hot-headed, couldn't think of anything. One day he's out and they don't explain what happened. But he comes barreling into the house and... Jacob is eating some soup. Jacob's eating some lentil soup. Isu walks into the house half dead. No, like 75% dead. And he's like, oh, I need your soup. Oh my God, if I don't eat right now, I'm going to fall over and die. What he was doing previous to walking into the house, nobody knows. But he walks into the house and he's like, oh, give me some lentil soup. And Jacob goes, I will give you this soup if you give me your birthright. Because Isu was the oldest. He was supposed to be the one in charge. Jacob's sitting there with a bowl of hot lentil soup. And a man is starving to death. Doing what? Who knows what? Just 10 minutes previous. I will give you the soup if you give me leadership of the clan, basically. And Isu goes, at what point is leadership of a clan if I die of starvation right here? So Jacob gives him the soup. And takes over. What was what was he playing like Fortnite for like 10 days straight? How can you... We, there, there's multiple problems with that story. Just like moral problems. One, your brother's starving to death. And you're like, I'm just eating soup in front of him? And being like, oh, well, you know, if you give me that... 
Secondly, what were you doing that you were starving to death? You're in, you're like, what What a bizarre way to, to jump into the middle of that story. It's not even that Isu, it says he came in from the open country. That's what we know. But was he just like out? I can imagine him with like sitting in the middle of nowhere with like a piece of wheat in his teeth like Huck Finn and then going, oh my God, I'm going to starve to death. And he runs into the house and be like, please give me some soup. Because apparently they had soup. How far away? I don't know. So bizarre. Oh, and I want to say this too. There, there's a pushback also on Bigfoot being Cain because a lot for a, a lot of Mormons for a long time, they don't think it so much, but for a long time, they believed that the mark of Cain was you were black. So when everyone was white in the Garden of Eden and Cain kills Abel, they're already kicked out of the Garden of Eden, but so when Cain kills Abel, God goes, you, anything you do with the ground will produce no harvest and you will wander the earth forever. And then he made him a black dude. That was a legitimate belief for a long, not, not legitimate like it makes sense, but there was, there was a belief for a long time. It wasn't until 1979 that the president of the church had a vision. And he goes, you know what? God just told me black people can be members of our church. Now, it's interesting to know, there were, I guess, a few before that, but now they could, like, rise up in the church. It is interesting to note that after he had that vision, they began doing a lot more missionary work in Africa. So it could have been a financial decision, could have been a message from God, I don't know. But so that's been the pushback, because the Bigfoot that David W. Patton describes is both hairy and he was completely black. So you could take that as the skin being black or the hair being black. But yeah, there was a belief for a long time that black people were cursed by the mark of Cain, which makes it kind of complicated because they said, if you kill me, you'll suffer seven times over. And I don't think there's been much retribution for killing black people. A little bit, but not a lot. Not seven times worth. So that is the convoluted story of Cain, Isu, Bigfoot. Oh, oh, and I should say that, yeah, they thought Isu might be Bigfoot because he's covered in hair. But, you know, again... They, it was weird. Like the, they, people will, you know, if you're religious, you will go to your religious text and say, can you help me explain this stuff? And sometimes it can help you explain like moral dilemmas you have, but it's not going to tell you whether or not Bigfoot is real. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. Twitter is at Jason O. Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. I have to go pee so bad. We, you, may, you don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. I have to go. Have a great day, guys. I'll see you tomorrow.